guys. You all ready to get started? Yeah? All right. Well, welcome to you guys who are here. It's a beautiful day. Uh, welcome to everybody watching online. This morning, we are gathering to drink from the fountain of life. And this is a, a call that's intended to get us into uh, the sermon series that we'll be going through the next several weeks, which is um, entitled Thirsty for Jesus, the, the Mission and the Meaning of Mercy Gate. So this morning we're gathering to drink from the fountain of life, and the call comes from Psalm chapter 36, verses 7 through 9. Let me read that to you. It says this, How precious is your steadfast love, O God! The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light do we see light. You know, many of you guys have heard the, the old hymn, Turn Your Eyes on Jesus. And um, there's a, a phrase in that song that I love that, that I believe this psalm speaks to. It's that when you turn your eyes upon Jesus, the things of earth begin to grow strangely dim. And so that's our, that's our call this morning, that as we would gather today, that we would recognize that all of our life comes from Jesus Christ. He is the fountain of life. And, you know, we spend so much time and energy striving and pursuing and working every day. Um, and we often forget that, that he is our fountain of life. And from him comes the river of his delights. So this morning, we're just, we're trying to press into him as our fountain of life, um, the river of delights, and that we would recognize um, that all things, as we were, were praying and singing on Friday night, all things are from him and through him and to him. So let's take a few moments to prepare our hearts this morning, uh, just a few moments of quiet, a few moments to lay things down in confession and repentance and to ask the Lord for help this morning as we worship. Foundation 
of the future that is yet to come and eternal power just to be in your courts, Lord. So God, we pray for the resurrection of hope that being in your courts is what we need, that being in your courts is what we truly desire, that dwelling with you is what brings peace, is what brings joy, is what brings vitality to our bones. You are the wellspring of life. Who else can give us a drink? Who else can feed us to where truly our needs are met? Only you, Lord. Only you. So when we sing, come thou fount, God, we want that fountain to dig the wells deeper this morning. Resurrect the hope that you reach deeper than our hands can go, than our strength can go. You reach deeper. We say, come and be the fountain that supplies this morning. Come and resurrect the hope that there is a fountain that will overflow, satisfy, and leave no part untouched because that is the God that we serve. So we say, God, come and resurrect this morning. Come and resurrect this morning. And as we lay before you, prostrating our hearts to receive from you, that your fountain would be what fills us, that your fountain would be what overflows within us. And the joy that bubbles over on our family as we sit at home or over the people as we sit here outside in this beautiful weather. God, we thank you that it would be from you and through you and to you all things today, God. All things today, we acknowledge your presence. We thank you for being here with us, God. And we say, come and do your work. Come and do your work, for you are not a God who is absent. So Jesus, we worship you this morning. Would you all stand with us as we sing, Come Thou Fount.
when you arose, God, you took our hopes with you. When you arose, you took our fears with you. When you arose, you took our anxiety, our depression, our oppression with you. When you rose, God, hallelujah to the name of Jesus who arose. He took what we carry with him so we no longer have to carry it. Jesus, thank you that you are the load lifter. You are the lifter of our heads. You call our eyes to gaze upon you, God. It is you and you alone that we need to look upon. And you woo us and you woo us over and over again. Thank you, Jesus, for resurrecting the dead bones. Thank you, Jesus, for resurrecting the dreams and the giftings and the things that we thought had perished. Thank you, Jesus, for resurrecting the life, the purpose, the identity, the truth of the kingdom. Thank you for resurrecting that. For when you arose, we arose with you for salvation. So we thank you, Jesus, for lifting us. Thank you for lifting us, Jesus. Thank you for lifting us, Jesus. Can we just sing, oh, what a savior again? I'm going to jump right in to the sermon this morning. Um, so if you have your Bibles, John chapter 7 is where we're going to be. My notes will not last in the sun. So we may just kind of wing this thing. We'll see how it goes. But John chapter 7 is where we're going to be. And I'm deciding to jump right into the sermon because I want you to take what we were just singing to heart and to mind. It's not enough for a church to just get together and sing a few songs. That's not the depth to which we get to go as the church. There is more of God to know, to experience, to enjoy, uh, that perhaps we have yet to plunge something of the depths of. And so when it comes to the meaning of Mercy Gate, the more of God's presence is really what the name is all about. And so in the next few minutes, uh, while this sermon series is going to be about the meaning and mission of Mercy Gate, really what we're going to shoot for this morning is looking at that particular meaning. What is, what is the meaning behind Mercy Gate? And if you've done any reading, perhaps on the website or you've heard us talking through it, it centers on John chapter 7, John chapter 7 and verses 37 through 39. So I'm going to read the text and we're going to jump right into it. It states this, John chapter 7, 
It's during a feast. John, John, the majority of the first section of the Gospel of John is sectioned off by different feasts. So there's this grand introduction, the word became flesh in chapter 1, but then chapter 2, all the way through chapter 12, which is the main section, first section of John, it's sectioned off into seven different feasts, and at each feast, Jesus is teaching something. He's imposing something into the feast that would direct attention to him so that the people of God might know something of the presence of God. So what we have here in John chapter 7, verse 37 is the Feast of Booths, and it states this, on the last day of the Feast of Booths, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out. This is fun to say in this kind of setting. <laughs> if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For yet the Spirit had been given. Why? Because Christ was not yet glorified. When it comes to the meaning of Mercy Gate, there's two principles, two truths we could say that Mercy Gate, the meaning of it is established upon. The first is this, it's the promise of God's presence. In verse 37, we see it says, on the last day of the feast. Right, so this was the seventh day of the feast, and the Feast of Booze was all about reminiscing, going all the way back to the Exodus account, where they would have stayed in their wilderness wanderings in booths, in tents. And so what God had ordained in the book of Leviticus is that they would have this feast of booze to help them remember just how God met them through the journey of coming out of the Exodus and God's provision then to them through the wanderings in the wilderness from the water, if you remember, that came from the rock miraculously, right? So they're at this feast of booze in order to remember God's provision, where the water came from the rock, where manna was supplied to them, where the quail was granted to them, that in every way God provided for them through what was a difficult and hard journey. But this, booth, this feast of booze was also during the time very similar to what we would have like for Thanksgiving. It was after the harvest season. It's when every, all the food would have been gathered in. And so it was opportunity for the people not only to remember the past of the Exodus, how God had provided for them through that, but also how God had just previously provided for them in bringing the rain for their crops so that they might celebrate something of the harvest. This was the Feast of Booze. It looked back on God's provision, but also recognized the immediate provision from God, that God had been faithful. So the Feast of Booze then was kind of a unique time. There was a bunch of rituals wrapped up in this time. And, and part of the ritual came on the last day, the great day, as the text says. So for seven days, there were these water rituals. But on the seventh day, there was a unique water ritual where the high priest would lead a procession from the temple down the south side. Jerusalem was on a hill, and so they would come down the south side of the city to the pool of Siloam. And it would be the high priest carrying this large golden pitcher. And he would come down to the pool of Siloam, and he would 
fill that whole pitcher up and he would raise it up before the people. And then they would, they would cry out together from Isaiah chapter 12 that God is the God of salvation. He will bring a wellspring of life to his people, right? And they would chant that and chant that, right? But it wouldn't be over. They would go from there, from the pool of Siloam, having lifted up this, this canister of water, this golden canister, and they would go back up to the temple. And there in the temple, there would be different proceedings where they would sing through the Hallel, which is Psalm 113 through 118. Psalms that talk about our brokenness. Psalms that talk about uh, our sins. Psalms that talk about how without God, where, where are we? And, and these Psalms cry out to God, God, come with your refreshment. Come with your water that you've promised. Come with your provision that you promised. We desperately need you. Of course, those psalms would then end with a crescendo, great is the steadfast love of the Lord. It, was this, it would be an astonishing time. Hundreds of people packed together in Jerusalem going through the great day water ritual, going down to the Pool of Siloam, now going back up to the temple, singing these songs together. But then finally, there would be this crescendo of, of pouring out the water over the altar. And you'd have to stand back and say, well, okay, this is just weird. It's getting weird. Like, what's the point of pulling up water and bringing it up to the altar and having all this excitement, pouring out the water upon the altar? What's the point of all this? The point of all this, it harkens back to Ezekiel 47. Ezekiel 47, where God demonstrated to Ezekiel, and next week we're going to jump into the specifics of this, but God gave Ezekiel a vision a promise, if you will, of his presence. He states this in Ezekiel 47. Then God brought Ezekiel back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. So picture in your mind, in this vision, God's bringing Ezekiel up to the temple, just like the people proceeded up to the temple. And there in the temple, uh, Ezekiel is seeing water come out the eastern gate, later known as, catch it, the gate of mercy, the mercy gate. And as water flowed out of the eastern gate, it also then flowed from the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar, then he brought me out, Ezekiel says, going on eastward with a measuring line. Again, there's the, the mercy gate, the east gate, and he's looking out eastward. And, and God is taking out this measuring line in his hand. And this man measured a thousand cubits and then led me through the water. And it was water that was ankle deep. And again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water and it was knee deep. And again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water and it was waist deep. Again, he measured a thousand and it was a river that I could not pass through. For the water had risen. It was deep enough, Ezekiel says, to swim in. A river that could not be passed through. So catch it as he's stating, everything will live where the river goes. Stunning text, all to picture the promise of God's presence. God would return in Ezekiel's day. God had removed his presence from the temple. The people knew it too. They knew it. Where is our God? They felt it deep in their souls. Where has our God gone? 
And the promise that is held out through this vision is the promise of God's presence. So when the high priest have made this procession down to the pool of Siloam, now back up to the, to the temple area, and they poured out this water over the altar, what, what are they doing? They're enacting prophetically enacting, they're holding up, they're stewarding a promise that God has given, that his presence would be poured out in profound ways, such that even it would be so deep and thick, if you will, and wherever this water goes, this water of his presence, it's going to give life. It's going to produce life. This was the promise that as the high priests are leading, this is the promise that they're holding on to. God has promised to come in his great presence to satisfy the thirsty soul, right? So here they're enacting something of Ezekiel 47, these high priests, right? What they're doing is they're holding on to God's promise. They're stewarding that promise. But it's in these moments, as you see from that text, Jesus interrupts it all. This is a stunning point. Like, you don't interrupt the high priest, right? It'd be like someone, even in a context like this, just interrupting everything we're doing here. It's happened before. But this is what Jesus is doing. There's something of audacity to it, right? You don't just start shouting in the middle of these processions, especially after the climax that, oh yeah, we're, we're waiting, we're looking forward to the, the promise of God's presence, that his presence would come like a mighty rushing river, right? And grant life wherever it goes. But it's in this ritual, this great day, stunning moment, where Jesus cries out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. What is Jesus saying? Stunning statement. Even if you would read further on, it's the religious leaders. They don't know what to do with this. Because there's, he's speaking with something of authority. It's rattling their conscience. You know, it's not just the religious leaders. They were great at correcting people. But in this moment, something strange is happening. Something they, know, they knew in their bones. Jesus is stating something about himself. He's stating that he is the fulfillment of all that the Feast of Booths pointed to. He is the true Moses. He is the true individual who would lead God's people out of their bondage, right? He is the rock that brings forth this fountain of life. He is our something of our daily provision. He is this faithful God. He is the steadfast Yahweh who's faithful in his love to his people. Jesus is saying, I am all of that. The very promise of the presence of God from Ezekiel 47. Well, I am that. I am the fountainhead of life. If you thirst, then come to me and drink. It's a stunning statement that Jesus is making here. He is, as he is saying, he is the fountain of life. He is, as Charles Spurgeon would say, he is the sip that satisfies. He is the one who, is, who has created us and created us for him with all the burdens and baggage that we bear in our sin, in our shame. Oh, he is fit to bring life to what is dead, spiritually speaking. He is the fountain head of life. He is what Ezekiel was ultimately promised. But we know it's not just Jesus coming. We know on the, on the other end of all that Jesus came to do, he would pour out his spirit, as the text goes on to say. Jesus truly is 
the fountain of life. As Mercy Gate, this is our one true hope. This is like we, we, we hang everything on this reality. That Jesus alone satisfies the thirsty soul. That there's just nothing more, nothing else. It, we are all centered on that particular reality. The promise of God's presence that has come to us through Jesus, the one who can satisfy the soul, and therein the promise of God's presence as poured out by the Holy Spirit. Exactly what we see in Acts chapter 2, right? What does Jesus do? He comes, he lives, he dies, he's resurrected, he's glorified, he ascends to his Father, and the promise of God's presence is poured out in power, right? Not poured out for a time in the past, but poured out for us here and now. Right, we've said this a bunch of times, like the book of Acts is not just a monument for the past. Wasn't God good in the past? Didn't he do some wonderful things? No, it's to create expectation in us for the very promised presence that we are to have here and now. That yes, the Holy Spirit is to be in us, flowing through us as Jesus has changed and transformed our own hearts and lives. Such that wherever we are, as the church, there should be a river of God's presence flowing from us and bringing life to the barren streets. You see? Folks, I want to be careful in how I say this. But it's intentional that Mercy Gate would be centered on the promise of God's presence. You can know a lot about God and not know God. You can parse out the gospel left and right, know all the deep th things of theology, and still not know God. It's not to say don't read your Bible. It's not to say don't study theology. But if that study of the word or theology doesn't drive you into relationship and intimacy, you're missing something. You're becoming no more better than the Pharisees who you recognize criticizing Jesus for the statements that he's making. It's all about the presence of God. Our theology should drive us toward that end. It shouldn't just give us something of passivity. Well, we get to just sit back because, well, we know our theology. It doesn't create a passive church. It creates an active church. Just think about Acts chapter 2. The Spirit of God's presence is poured out. And what happens? Man, things are moving. Things are being accomplished. Not because they're just striving in their own, their own efforts, but because they have an ear to the ground of what the Spirit is saying and how he's moving. And they're stepping out in faith. Faith is going to be risky. It's risky. It doesn't always make sense. We've said this before. Reason, reason, logic, right, is a helpful thing, right? It's a good thing to know things. But reason and logic must never be our master, it can be a servant, but it's a lousy master, right? Because faith, faith at times is going to press the boundaries on everything that's logical for us. And so if we aren't individuals who know something of the presence of God, who aren't given to relationship with God, who, 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 who don't study God to truly know God, well, then we're going to be a people who are just burned out in all our efforts, or we'll just become apathetic, passive Christians, which, what kind of testimony is that before a lost and dying world? This is the meaning of mercy gate. Folks, uh, maybe I could say it this way. The reason why we're not gospel Bible church, great name perhaps. The reason why we're not gospel Bible church 
is because, again, you can know the ins and outs of the gospel. You can know the ins and outs of your Bible. And you can know a lot about God and perhaps not know God. You can know the right things. That's why, as I did, you can go to seminary for years at a time, study the depths of theology from some of the best teachers in the world, and your soul can remain shriveled. Your spiritual vitality can be about nothing. You can, you can come and it's like, it's like an addiction. You can stimulate yourself by, wow, wow, oh, this is incredible. Oh, this is interesting. Oh, this is neat. But if those particular wonders as you study throughout the scriptures don't lead you into relationship with the God of the scriptures, then you short circuit the process. He's fundamentally a covenantal God. And for Jesus then to cry out before these people, he's inviting relationship. He's saying, God has intended to come, and here I am, the great I am in your midst. I am here, the fountain of life, the wellspring of life. I've come to satisfy your souls, not to just give you big heads, but give you hearts that through those hearts pour rivers of living water. He's saying rivers, plural, of living water. It's not a, it's not a singular trickle. It's multiple, plural, multiple rivers of living water, which means this. It's not only that God by his spirit provides for us a variety of graces. He's going to work in us and through us in a variety of ways. Just read 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's gonna be miracles and there's gonna be healings. And there's, if you go to other texts on the gift of the spirit, there's gonna be administration and hospitality. All of these gifts then utilized as not something that we do in our own power and strength and wisdom, but something that is provoked uniquely by the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the overflow of Christ's work in us that the Spirit would come and provide rivers, a plural, a variety of graces to us that would first go in us and work through us so that his presence might be manifest before a world who needs the life of that life-giving river, right? But not only that, not only is it this variety of graces through which the Spirit gives us all these varied graces, but it also has the idea that the Spirit ain't going to just fill you up once for the task at hand. He's going to come and he's going to fill you again and again and again and again. It's like going to the ocean, wave after wave after wave. There's many, so to speak, rivers, many outpourings of the Spirit. He's going to fill us and he's going to fill us again, and he's going to fill us again. So Jesus is the fountainhead. He's going to continue to pour out his life-giving water in us by his Spirit so that again and again something of his Spirit might be manifest through us. So what is the church? The church, then, is a channel of his varied graces that has multiple empowerments by the Holy Spirit to be about the work that he assigns us. But, I, you know, more recently, I, I, I haven't been able, you can tell, you know, ask my wife, I've, I've, I've been caught up studying the, the early years of the vineyard movement. John Wimber uh, being kind of the founder of that. It's stunning to study that kind of stuff because you hear about how all of, 
this global movement of churches began. It didn't begin with a bunch of great, wonderful things happening. They were actually older individuals who had spent tons of time, effort, and energy already seeing souls saved and churches planted. It was wonderful, they said. It was incredible what God did. And yet, they said, but we were burnt out. We were empty. As they say, something was wrong with us. Have you ever tried to do ministry in your own power? I'm there again and again, finding that temptation again and again over the seven years here. Man, I know, okay, I'm leaning on my own, my own wisdom, my own strength, and it will burn you out. Carol Wimber, the wife of John Wimber, she sat there and said, we were burned out. We didn't want another Bible study. We didn't want another ministry. We we just had to pull back. We were burned out. She says, but we started getting together in just times of prayer. And we actually, she said, we actually like created guardrails for that time. No Bible. We're not getting all heady about stuff. We're not going to try to teach one another stuff, you know, that we already kind of know anyhow. She said, we just wanted to come together humbly in a time of prayer with one another. And, and, and no criticism of the church, no criticism of past ministry. If you're going to share something, it's going to be about your own heart. And if you share something, you're inviting prayer. They said, well, we, we just started with that. And eventually that moved into bringing in some music to that time. And as the music would play, they, they said, things were so uncomfortable singing songs because it was not songs about God. We weren't just telling God theology, what he already knows. We were, we were singing songs like, Father, I love you and I adore you and I lay my life before you. Songs of intimacy. They said it was so uncomfortable for so long. They had just kind of built up. You know, they were always on, if you were, for ministry's sake. Always kind of putting on the facade, right? Not not necessarily drawing near to God's presence and fostering something of deep relationship where the, the, the fountainhead of Jesus might bring something of strength and endurance so that the very graces that come through our life are life-giving. They don't burn you out. It's a joy. It's an adventure to jump into. Why? Because the Spirit of God is with us, and we're just trying to keep in step with His sustaining grace as He then begins to bring life to others. And you, you begin to see life just take forth from that little, t- little prayer group, you know? A bunch of old burned-out folks coming together to pray. And what God did with that is birth a worldwide church movement fruitfulness, not by human strategy, not by our own strength. It's going to require strategy. It's going to require strength, right? But it was all sustained because they said, we are not going to move unless we hear the Spirit saying do this or hear the Spirit saying that. We're going to evaluate those things in light of the Word. We're going to always anchor everything into the Word, but we're not going to move until the Spirit tells us to move. That's a risky place to be. Because you are going to become criticized. Because it ain't gonna be, it's not going to be reasonable all the time. Those steps of faith and what the Spirit is asking you to do is actually going to be, at times, quite the opposite of what seems to be reasonable. But it's going to be a step of faith. And why does God sometimes work like that? He works like that so that His glory is seen and revealed so that his people don't receive his glory, but so that he receives the glory. 
So we can never say, oh yeah, it was in our own wisdom, it was in our own strength that we did something. No, it was despite our own wisdom and despite our own strength that God did something and he now receives the glory. Folks, when it comes to Mercy Gate, it's built on the promise of his presence that Jesus alone satisfies the thirsty soul and imparts to us his Holy Spirit with varied graces and many outpourings. He's the one that we look to. He's the one that we lean upon. But then secondly, and more briefly, there's a condition for his presence. Did you catch it? Jesus gives us a conditional statement there. It's not just, hey, you got it. Run with it. There's a condition. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. In order to receive the refreshment of the fountainhead, Jesus Christ, you must acknowledge your need. You must be thirsty. You must have something of hunger. Folks, when we're filled up with everything else that the world offers, you won't be hungry for Jesus. You'll just be looking for the next thing that the world offers or the next thing that your heart wants. <laughs> right? I don't know about you, but Corona has proven that to me in fresh ways. Jeez, like, I'm, I'm getting to the end of the day, you know, where I'm falling asleep about 11 o'clock at night, and, and my heart is wanting just one more episode. Just one more episode. Come on, just one more episode. And it's like, no, shut it down so I can give some attention. I love falling asleep just with my heart affection placed on the Lord. Just, Lord, here's my, my affection. I don't want to get all heady in that moment because I want to fall asleep. But I want the end of my day to be marked by just affection towards the Lord. Lord, have my heart, have my imagination. Grant me sleep now. I love you, all right? It's the way I want to end my day. I want to end my day so that on the other side of that sleep, I can wake up saying, all right, I want my, like, let's get that heart aligned all over again. Because we know this, and we've said it before, that in the natural, if you want to get hungry, you stop eating. Right? If you don't eat, you're going to get hungry. But in the supernatural, we could say, in the spiritual, hunger comes by eating. Go eat. To become hungry. Go get after God to become hungry. Set aside something to go after God so that you can gain appetite, gain thirst. Right? You won't, just to be blunt, you won't care about a couple hours of praying together as a, as a people, as his church, if you don't feel some need for it. If you don't need your heart just again, like, as we talk about, as we meet on First Fridays, it's like one of those things where we feel like we're jumping into the river, right? The river of his presence. It's like we're stepping into something that he's already doing. God's already working and acting and speaking more than we give him credit for, right? But it's aligning our hearts with that, saying, God, we're hungry for your presence. We're desperate for your presence. I, like, not just for, like, grand mission crazy revival stuff. Like, I just need you today. Like, for the next few hours. I just need you. I need to go after you. And to do that together, there's refreshment. There's something beautiful. Even as we jumped into First Friday this, um, just a few days ago, you know, the word was, man, I forgot how good this was. But leading up to that time, you're finding every excuse <laughs> not to do it, right? 
And that's no guilt on anyone, right? It's just to say, like, man, get hungry for the Lord. God, God can be found in anything, right? I don't care if you're going to Dunkin' Donuts in the morning or whatever, like going to work, jumping online, interacting work. God can be found. He's already working in more ways than what we can give him credit for. But the beauty of, of jumping into the river, of seeking after his presence, of knowing something of the relationship, is that you get to do all that with him, and he will be speaking to you. He will be laying burdens upon your heart for this person or that person. He will be at times even correcting you when you know you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. But some of us have just gotten so used to living life on our own, not with an ear to the spirit, but just like, hey, this is my routine. This is what I'm doing. Nothing's going to get in my way because this is the way I do my day. God wants in on that. He can be found in anything but missed just about in everything. Jesus has made it possible for the presence of God to dwell in us, to dwell among us, such that the river of his varied graces, his many outpourings might give life to those who are around us. He wants to first give us life, right? He wants to feed our souls. But that's not his end game, right? He wants to use us as well for the good of others. He wants to satisfy us in his presence so that we become satisfying to others. So when it comes to Mercy Gate, those are kind of the, the pillar principles. The promise of God's presence, we must go after his presence. It's not just about religiosity. It's not just about high theology, although that is so important. Don't hear me wrong, but that theology has got to direct us into relationships. And of course, then, it comes to the condition of that promise of his presence. You've got to hunger. You've got to set one, like any relationship. You've got to give time and effort to it, to know the blessings of that relationship. So when it comes to Mercy Gate, let the meaning of Mercy Gate always remind us the promise of his presence, but also the condition of that presence. He, hold, he is there for us, but oftentimes we need to create space for him. May it be for us as Mercy Gate Church. Let's pray together. Spirit of God, we invite you right now. We, we love the fact that we can invite you, that that is not a cliche, that that is not some sort of like spiritual talk. Thank you that it's not just some sort of pursuit of some emotionalism or some fanaticism. Thank you that, Holy Spirit, you are present with us to be even invited, right, because of all that Christ is and has done for us. Jesus, thank you for opening up the way for us. Thank you for tabernacling, templing among us. Thank you for being now the fountainhead of life for which now we can know, we can know in the depths of our souls something of the refreshment of the river that is granted to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. So Spirit, thank you for your abiding presence with your people. Would you teach us as Mercy Gate how to steward your presence? how to lean into relationship with you, how to keep an ear open to your work, to how you would burden our hearts to be a channel of your blessing to others. 
So Holy Spirit, I pray right now for those whose souls are not satisfied. They may be busy. They may be busy. They may be focused on many things, but they are certainly not satisfied. Jesus, I pray for the river of life to come. God, I pray that you would clean out the heart. Make us clean channels of your presence to others. Where there are other things that our hearts are attached to, God, clean it out. Thank you that this is not about a religious kind of like conformity. Thank you that you hold out something better to us. That's why you speak of satisfying our souls. That's why you speak of thirsty souls being refreshed in you. You're holding out something better for us. You're not holding us to some religious conformity, just beating us up with guilt. You're holding out your own presence to us, saying there is great relationship to know here. So Spirit of God, clean us out. Show us where sin is getting in the way. Not just like nasty sin, but just sin that takes up the time when time should be granted to you. Where, where, where things take up our mental space. And our mental space should be granted to you. Where our affections are taken up with other things, when our affections should be taken up with you. God, I pray, clean us out. Clean us out as your people. Make us channels of this life-giving river of your presence. So grant the thirsty soul refreshment even this morning. Pray that you would flood our hearts with your goodness. Flood our hearts with your presence even now. And Jesus, thank you, thank you that we can even know right now that the Spirit of God is, is eager to fill us up afresh. <laughs> fill us up to overflowing. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and fill our hearts Fill us up, not only to clean us out, but fill us up by your presence, we pray. Make us, make us true vessels in your hand, where we just join the adventure of listening to you throughout the day, hearing your kind voice, not only for what we are to do as we go and do our work and engage with others, but God, let it be that we would hear even from you, Spirit, your kind words of grace. You, you encourage us. You point out your love for us. You prove just how intimately you know us at every level of our being. So, Spirit of God, I pray not only for an ear to hear how you are directing us for the good of others, but, oh, that there would be something of clarity as to how you would define us, how you, how you love us. So, Spirit of God, fill us, we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.
we're going to close with the song there's a redeemer if you need to find lyrics for that um but we're gonna we're gonna be singing out that chorus as a, a thank you to our heavenly father for giving us his son and for leaving his spirit until the work on earth is done as dan was speaking i was reminded of the story of zacchaeus in luke 19 and I just want to ask you guys, are you drinking from the fountain of life? Zacchaeus was a man who had tons of excuses not to be drinking from the fountain of life. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. But Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he couldn't see because he was small in stature. But did he let those excuses stop him from seeking Jesus, from coming to Jesus. No, it says he ran ahead and he climbed up into a tree so that he could see Jesus. And how did Jesus respond to that? He said, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. And Zacchaeus hurried and came down and received Jesus joyfully. What, what is keeping you guys from drinking from the fountain of life, from running to Jesus, from running ahead of the crowd, from giving up all the, the wealth that Zacchaeus had, all the influence that he had, the position of power that he had. He laid all that down to pursue Jesus. And so I would just ask you guys this morning, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal those areas in your hearts to you. Ask him to... to to point out what are the things that you, what are the excuses, the obstacles keeping you from drinking from that fountain of life. And then my prayer is that we would lay those down together, whether it's right now here, whether it's when you get home. Um, but that's my prayer, that as a church, we would run away from those obstacles, run around them, run over them, climb up the tree to get to Jesus, to drink from that fountain.
just asking the Lord what he wants at this point and uh, just he's bringing to mind um, just someone who may be just struggling with fear um, I don't know if that's taken the form of anxiety through this season or what um, but anybody in particular just say yeah like it doesn't even have to be logical fear just like fear that seems to be showing itself, rearing its head again and again. Anybody fit that bill we can pray for this morning? This afternoon, I guess. Alright. Maybe maybe even someone online as well. Lord, we pray right now, we thank you for your varied graces. Thank you, Spirit, that you speak to us, albeit at times subjectively, that you speak to us. We weigh it according to your word. So we hear, we hear in part. But Spirit, we thank you for your kind, still voice. interrupt our times here to just pray for a brother or sister who is suffering from some sort of fear. Um, perhaps even like a PSTD kind of situation. So God, I pray, I pray, um, yeah, Lord, that you would, you would take the memories of trauma and that you would step into those as one who um, will not waste the wrong things that have happened. You will not waste the hardships. You will not waste that trauma. Thank you that you, you never left that individual during those moments. Thank you, Jesus, that you are not one who has not suffered something of trauma yourself, being shamed, being being made naked before the crowd, being mocked and abused. God, we thank you. We thank you that you are a God who knows trauma. And even more than that is one who can step into our trauma and be a very present help. So Jesus, I, I do pray where the enemy perhaps has gotten a foothold through that fear. That fear just seems unmovable, unshakable. Spirit of God, I pray that you would come in Jesus' name and that you would shake that fear, that that fear would be made movable in Jesus' name. So we declare fear must go now in Jesus' name. It must go. <laughs> Spirit of God, I pray that the things that you remove from us will be substituted with your gentle comfort. So, Spirit of God, fill that person up, we pray. Fill them up with your presence. Fill them up with your comfort. May they find something of security in your presence even right now. Jesus, I pray that as the enemy would try to, even in these moments, bring those thoughts back 
Jesus, be the bulwark for them that you are. Be the walls of protection for them that you are. Protect them, show them where the lies of the enemy are empty. You prove your nearness and your kindness to them, even now in Jesus' name. Anything else? By way of benediction, it comes from Ephesians chapter 3. And it's still right along the lines of everything that we've been talking about. Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus. You should, you should have the picture in your, own, in your own mind. As Paul prays, he says, Oh, that the capacities of your hearts might be broadened for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to reside within you by the love of Christ. He, 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 it's like he shows the Holy Spirit as like an engineer of our souls, fortifying our souls so that we can apprehend more of his presence more of his love. This is, how, this is how the Spirit works on our behalf, so that we would know in greater measure the kindness, the goodness of his presence. And then Paul states this, and I'm going to state it as our benediction. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Grace and peace to you guys. Thanks for coming out.